0: Radio Netherlands Worldwide presents Vox Humana. I'm Dheera Sujan. Every year, eight international broadcasters produce a programme on a single theme for the Global Perspective Series. This year, the theme is Belief, and over the coming weeks we'll bring you stories about people and places and how their beliefs shape their lives. We begin with our own offering, Little Fish in a Multiculti Pond. One of the new words added to the latest edition of the Dutch Dictionary is "multiculti," short for multicultural, of course. It's a term that aptly defines the neighbourhood in Amsterdam where producer David Swatling lives. After some rather sobering events, residents there are taking initiatives to bring the diverse community together.
1: The reopening of an historic landmark building in Amsterdam is celebrated with fanfare. Het Seerad, or the Jewel, was originally built as a vocational school in the 1920s when most of this neighbourhood was developed. Just a 10-minute tram ride from the city centre and located on the corner where two canals meet, it's a spectacular example of the Amsterdam School of Architecture. Red brick and white trim, and in the case of many apartment buildings, orange-tiled roofs. Its new function as a community center for education and cultural activities is part of a major regeneration of the neighborhood called the Barshes, or Little Fish, perch to be exact. Many of the streets here are named after famous explorers like Marco Polo, Columbus, Magellan, and Henry Hudson, the Englishman who set sail in a Dutch ship and staked a claim on land which became the colony of New Netherlands. Appropriate metaphors for a neighborhood which typifies the term multicultural, or as the young say, multiculti.
2: One of the symbols is the Mercator Square. Mercator, of course, was famous for, for being one of the first people in history who uh, made a map of the whole world. That map is projected on the, the Mercator Square, named after him. And that reflects more or less also the diversity of people living here now. My name is Arco Verberg. I've lived here in the Barches neighborhood about eight, nine years now. And uh, the last two years I've been an older man here. Uh, if you look at this neighborhood, 35,000 people, 126 nationalities, uh, half of the people originally from Dutch origin, half of the people of non-Dutch origin, uh, largest groups, Moroccans, uh, people from Turkey, but also uh, from Greece, Spain... When I go to the supermarket, I also hear Spanish behind me, uh, uh, Polish uh, in front of me, so, well, quite diverse, yeah.
1: That's also true of the open-air market on a street named for Amerigo Vespucci. I moved to the Barshes myself 12 years ago, more by necessity than choice. In the late 80s and early 90s, the neighborhood was full of junkies and rife with drug-related crime, but that made the rundown housing cheap. So as many Dutch residents deserted the barches, the immigrant community grew.
2: If you add to that that the houses in the barches are quite small, but that all those people are living on quite a small area, one and a half square kilometer, 35,000 people. It's quite densely populated and it's not so obvious how to live together. Uh, but then again it's also impossible to not... Have the interaction between uh, different people because they're living so close to each other, and that I think is the is the real challenge of this neighborhood, and and also the challenge I think of of uh, uh, quite a number of neighborhoods here in the Netherlands, where you see that that there are not a lot of institutions who can take the initiative to to bring people together.
1: Churches used to serve that purpose, but as the Netherlands became a more secular society, their role diminished. The Catholic church on my street, the Straat, closed its doors in 1999 because the dwindling congregation could no longer support it. The parish of the Holy Trinity wants to demolish the church to make way for a new block of apartments. Ironically, it's the neighborhood which is trying to save the church. Various plans are presented at an open house hearty Dutch pea soup and fresh Turkish bread are served as local residents engage in lively discussion about the future of the Chassé Church.
3: My name is Justus Hartkamp. I live in the Baarsjes since 1986 and I'm a member of the committee Keep the Chassé Church.
1: And where in the Baarsjes do you live?
3: Uh, I live in the Jacob van Wassenaar op Damstraat, which is nearly impronounceable in English, but it's right at the opposite side of the church. So uh, I've been enjoying the, the bells and the church for about 20 years now. One of the reasons we would like to uh, to keep the church is that it's really become past of the history of this neighborhood. When it was built in 1924, there was a huge Catholic uh, community uh, in this uh, in this area, and it has been uh, the church has been part of the neighborhood uh, ever since. Of course, the neighborhood has changed. A lot of people have moved out and have moved in, so the character of the neighborhood has changed. But the the church itself, the trees, and the little squares have kind of uh, uh, turned into a uh, landmark for uh, for the people living here so uh, we really would like to keep it uh, that way we wouldn't mind if the church uh, would be used for other purposes we would really be very supportive of that but uh, we think it's worthwhile to keep this uh, this landmark building in our neighborhood
1: one of the oldest businesses in the neighborhood is the cas hut a cheese shop Above which owner Hans Axe has lived for 46 years. He's created a special cheese, Old Barsches, packaged with a vintage picture of the old neighborhood.
4: He says it's a tribute to the
1: positive things happening here, after such difficult times and an overall negative view of the Barsches. He asked if I'd like to try it. It's common practice that small shops give you samples. It tastes kind of like a cheddar, not a usual Mm, Dutch flavor at all. Okay, (laughs) thank you very much. (laughs) I'll definitely be back for more. But about those difficult times, after the September 11th attacks in New York, Dutch, Moroccan, Turkish, and Surinamese organizations created a dialogue group to improve communication and reduce tensions rising in the neighborhood. And yet, Perhaps the Barsha's darkest hour occurred on the 4th of May 2003 Remembrance Day Ceremony, commemorating those who died in World War II. At 8 p.m., during the traditional two minutes of silence, several young Moroccans standing nearby started shouting, Death to the Jews! Council Chairman Arkoverberg witnessed the shocking disruption.
2: We had a meeting with representatives of all different groups here in in this neighborhood and I there asked the question is uh, what do you think about this ceremony what does it mean for you the 4th of May and uh, people in the first place said well this is a typical Dutch event and we respect that as such as a Dutch event for commemorating World War Two. and then I said well I think that It has um, a broader meaning because I think every culture, every people, every nation has experienced dictatorship, violence, uh, discrimination. And I think shouldn't this be a moment where we together commemorate these events, which are significant in every culture? And shouldn't we make it not just a Dutch event, but uh, an event of all the different people living in the Netherlands? And starting from then, the committee of volunteers who organized the ceremony uh, grew quite a bit larger because from all those different groups, people participated in organizing the ceremony. And it changed the ceremony also. The year after youngsters from Moroccan descent shouted those words during the two-minute silence, a year later, uh, a group of Moroccan... Youngsters read names of Moroccan soldiers who also fought in World War Two. Um, there was someone uh, also in uh, the ceremony involved who told a story about how uh, Suriname was involved in World War Two. It became more of an event for the different groups, and I think that that typifies uh, something we want to do here as a government in in this local neighbourhood because uh, we want to work with all those groups to find out what what binds us. What what are the elements we share.
1: A 12-year-old boy of Ghanaian descent practices with a football in front of his apartment building. As I soon discovered, football would play an important part in bringing the community together.
5: Well, when I first moved here in 1986, the Baarses, I wasn't interested very much in the Baarses. I was more or less stuck to Amsterdam, Old West, where I came from. And uh, after a few years, I heard in the papers that there were riots on MacArthur Plain and there were difficult things happening in the neighborhood. And that's when things were put in the paper, like the Barshes is a no-go area. I thought, wow, but I'm living here and I'm feeling quite safe just in this street. I didn't see these things happening. Um, I'm Owen Brugmans, I'm 56 years old. I come from Jewish parents, both sides. I am now a psychiatrical nurse taking care of mishoguners. And mishoguners in English is people who are a bit crazy, psychiatrically wise. I've lived in the Baarshes about now 21 years. I chose the Baarshes because it was, I loved the Amsterdam School of Architecture. And that's why I bought this apartment here, which was built in 1929 by a very well-known architect, P. L. Kramer. And he built more or less most of the streets here. I uh, heard that there was a small synagogue further up the road here in uh, Vasco de Gamastra, And since 87, 88, I go to the synagogue every second week. I'm a part of the Minyan. That's uh, the 10 required halachic Jewish men that have to be there when certain parts of the service are uh, done.
1: Sugar? A little, thank you. As he serves me tea in his cozy apartment just a couple of blocks from my own, Erwin tells me he joined the neighborhood dialogue group to represent his synagogue. But what happened next would propel this gentle man, who refers to verbal abuse as scolding, into an even more active role in the Barshes.
5: I went to the synagogue, as we all do on Shabbat, with my keeper on, and many people in the synagogue were kind of you and this other person are representative and dialogue group, but what does it bring for us? We don't trust these Arabs in the neighborhood. Uh, put off your keeper when you come to the synagogue, etc. But I was brought up proudly Jewish, and I will not take off my keeper when walking on the street. So, just after that thing happened in New York with the airplanes bumping into the buildings, as we say, this whole kind of atmosphere changed in this neighborhood. And then when I was walking to the shul, I got scolded by two coffee shops on the way, Moroccans. You bloody Jews and, and uh, uh, Hamas, Hamas, Jews on the gas. Hamas, Hamas, Yoda an het gas, that kind of thing. And I looked back and I put up my middle finger. And they were like, wow, this Jews reacting. And then also other visitors of my shul were scolded on their way to the synagogue. And they saw swastikas uh, here and there. And then I thought, wow, this is not nice. I'm living in the neighborhood. We want the shore to stay as it is and not run away. After the service, we always have a talk and coffee and things, and we discussed what should we do. And then I said, we can go two ways. We can go the way of the dialogue group and seek a dialogue with those people that make difficulties for us, or we can only go to the police and put our hands, heads in the sand like the ostriches do. I think we should confront them, I think we should go to the dialogue and really ask those fellows and people what are they saying to us, we don't stand in front of their mosques scolding them like you are stupid islamics and things like that, they shouldn't do that to us. Okay, we'll give you, go ahead and try. So I went to the youth center around the corner, the Zoutpole. I spoke to the youth leaders there and I told them what happened and they said we don't want this. So then we had a small group, a youth worker, a few Moroccans. We came together just meeting, what can we do? And then we came to the conclusion, Jews like football, and Moroccans love football. The Moroccans were playing football on Balboa Square, and the Jews play their football in Amsterdam South. Why don't we get those two groups together and make a football tournament? Small tournament on Balboa Square, and that's how it started. It was a wonderful day. Especially the older generation, Jews and Moroccans, started mixing. The youngest stood here, left and right. They just saw each other. And the part where they really met was the communal meal, kosher halal, with Jewish and Moroccan music in the background. After the game, everyone had a big dinner outside of the South South Pole Youth Center. And all the Moroccans of the Youth Center said, we've opened our house to Jews and we're proud of it and it went through the whole neighborhood. Everything went right. No riots, everyone won in the end. And you know, there was a lot of television on the square and radio. And this small little stupid game went on the air in Israel, went on the air in uh, Al Arabiya television, in Morocco, in Tunisia, And we thought, this is a small initiative, but it went worldwide. Even on the Dutch television satellite, my uh, family in Australia phoned me up. We saw you on Dutch television. You had the Jewish-Moroccan football.
1: Erwin Brugman's Moroccan Jewish football tournament earned him the Barsha's Volunteer Award with its motto, Time to Join In. He used the 500 euro prize to stage another event on Balboa Square to involve even more ethnic groups in the neighborhood an urban dance festival.
3: Oh. Ik zit vast met een vraag Antwoord is onderweg, maar het is veel veelste draag
4: Allochtoon is het woord dat vaak wordt geroepen Mensen hebben nog niet door, En het zijn grote groepen
3: Wordt er een overvacht zit, of een rea tegen slag Er kennen ze het in de kleur, komen ze bij ons klaar.
4: Altijd zijn het Marokkanen in, in plaats van allochtonen. van allochtonen Natuurlijk gaan we dan tekeven, want het blijft
3: waarsbomen Dan de media bij deze is nog veelste goedkomen Ringen een schande voor ons volk als ik kijk hoe het loopt
4: En of dat dan nog verandert, yo, dat weet, weet ik nog niet Er is niemand die...
1: Kids from Abarsha's youth center music program, rapping their discontent about being blamed for everything that goes wrong, and being referred to as Alektoon, actually the Dutch term for foreigner, which would make me Alektoon, but recently it's all too often used as a racial or ethnic slur. Especially since November 2004, when a radical young Muslim of Moroccan descent brutally murdered the controversial Dutch filmmaker, Theo van Gogh, in broad daylight, on the streets of Amsterdam. Van Gogh had made a film about the mistreatment of Muslim women, and the response to his death was a mix of anger and fear.
5: That was scary, I tell you. That was very scary when Van Gogh was killed and I saw on television and I heard that mosques were put into flames, Islamic schools were put into flames, the Jewish community said Dayenu, 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 that means enough, enough, enough. We recognize this phenomenon, but then again the nicest thing that happened was uh, a lot of people went to the dam to demonstrate with pots and pans and all the, the dialogue group of the first hour were all there and all of us went to the square together and I was in the Turkish bus I stayed with the Turks and we were very s- s- together and on the way back I said uh, I heard them saying like we have to stand in front of our mosque because we might get some firebombs in there and things like that because the Dutch don't know the difference between a Turkish mosque or a Moroccan mosque and I said if you like I can get some people of the Jewish community to, to stand in front of your mosque together and they said Wow, the whole bus felt quiet. And I said, why are you so quiet? I said, we've never heard this before, but we don't need your, your people, but we're very proud you offered it. And in the weeks coming, it went, that news went through the whole mosque. <laughs> that's how you make, that's how you come together.
1: One of the newer businesses in the Barshas is Trésor de Mer, a fish shop, which offers both fresh fish and Dutch favorites like herring and leckerbeckia, or deep-fried cod. Hello. It's run by the Moroccan Edirazi it's family, and I'm curious if they'll share a little word play with me. Oh, the it takes them only a moment to get the joke. The neighborhood's name, Barshas, being the word for little fish. And no, they don't get theirs from the canal. Behind the counter, the daughter wears a traditional headscarf. Certainly not a problem, working for her father. But in some other situations... A recent survey commissioned by the Barshes revealed a large percentage of Muslims experience discrimination in the neighborhood, especially young people. So the local council set up a center on Mercator Square where complaints could be filed.
6: I trained at a fitness uh, center and. There were two uh, guys of Moroccan uh, ethnicity and uh, they wanted to get uh, subscribed to the the school. They also wanted to uh, train and stuff. And when they came to the counter, the the lady uh, behind it said to them, yeah, we have lots of people uh, want to train here and we have a waiting list. So uh, when we have space, you will be called. So leave your name and number to them. So they wrote the names and number and they left. Afterwards she said to me something like, uh, we have enough of them here, we don't want any Moroccans over here, and Dutch people first. So that was quite an uh, yeah, extreme situ- situation w- w- which I witnessed myself. My name is uh, Enver Wadishle. Uh I'm 30 years old and I'm working at the Centre of uh, Muslim Discrimination. The name is, is quite misleading. It's uh, actually for everyone and uh it doesn't matter if you're uh, muslim or not muslim dutch or not dutch uh your age doesn't matter uh, it, your uh sexual orientation that also doesn't matter it's uh, it's open for everyone and uh it's open for every kind of complaint about discrimination i have about um, the number of cases about 50 but we also do a lot of things besides uh handling of complaints we also go to schools and give the kids education uh, in discrimination and stuff.
1: What kinds of um, complaints in general do people have?
6: Um, about 50% uh, of the complaints are from uh, persons who have uh, belong to the ethnic minorities in, in, in Amsterdam, Moroccan or Turkish. And, and in most cases it's about their uh, religion or because of the ethnic identity of course, I cannot give you the, the explicit uh, details, but uh, in general, it's, it's uh, mostly about the headscarves uh, Muslims also uh, uh, use or wear. For example, uh, a person that wanted to go for a job solicitation, she didn't get accepted because of a headscarf she, she wore. Those kinds of incidents do happen, and not only in the Baches, but uh, across Amsterdam in general, and of course uh, in, in the Netherlands. And how do you follow them up? Every time we have an a objective uh, view of it, we, we don't uh, choose the side of the person that complains uh, immediately. We always try to research uh, uh, what happened and uh, what was said and why it was said. And after that, after we are convinced that it was a, a kind of discrimination, mostly we try to get two parties uh, to talk with each other. It's kind of a, almost a, a one-on-one sensitivity training. Sometimes it is. In most cases, we, we do get a successful uh, mediation between two parties. But some cases are uh, hard cases w- in which you can't get uh, results immediately.
3: But uh, here in what the there's also a part in via
1: The Barsha's survey also found that the other group experiencing the most incidences of discrimination were gays and lesbians, particularly in interaction with Muslims. So the council arranged a public meeting to bring the two groups together. Some 60 people gathered for what I think might become an extremely contentious discussion, but my fears prove unfounded. ...mostly due to an experienced moderator with a unique perspective.
4: My name is Tania Barakhuis. I am the director of CUC Amsterdam... ...the local association for lesbian, gay, bisexuals and transgenders. I was born from Dutch parents, but I was raised in an Arabic country... ...so I have a lot of um, relationship to the Arabic culture and uh, I have a transsexual background and this is one of the reasons why I got into this kind of work. At the beginning,
1: it all seemed fairly friendly and, and people were introducing themselves and uh, there wasn't a lot of discussion. And then there was kind of a tea break and everyone was gathered around and just chatting. And then after that, everyone seemed a little bit more relaxed and
4: things got a little more heated. What we tried to do is that we bring people together uh, who are antagonistic towards each other? Because that's why we need the dialogue. Then uh, we try to find similarities between various groups or various individuals that we present. So this is one of the reasons that we take a panel uh, existing of members from the various groups who give a short uh, view of their situation and, and and what happens in their daily life. Uh, people respond to that they recognize certain uh, uh, situations and then we try to to address the issues that divide the people so we try to get into you know what does the Quran exactly say what would you do within your own society how much uh, afraid are you of potential terrorism that kind of thing so that people can really express what they feel or what they think or what they think they should say what was interesting for a lot of the people that were present The question which always pops up, like, what would you do if your son were gay? Um, I turned that around, so the woman who asked that question, I said, all right, I will post that question to the gentleman that you would like to ask, but first, would you be willing to tell me what you would do if your daughter turned out that she wanted to become Muslim to marry a Moroccan uh, nice-looking guy? And then she really had to think very hard, what would my response be? And that was when, you know, everybody in the room felt the awareness of, hey, I'm not here just to accuse somebody else. I'm here to try to find out and learn something from somebody else. And uh, it was interesting because it really worked out very well that evening. People were still discussing at midnight when we left the building because they had so much to say to each other and felt uh, free and able to say that and you know, I hope it will really have a lot of follow-up also in the district.
1: Perhaps the greatest challenge yet to face the Barshas is the plan to build a new Turkish mosque. The Western Mosque, or Western Mosque, has engendered neighbourhood and even national debate, from the prime canal-side location and the height of the minaret, to whether a new mosque should be built at all a French-Jewish husband-and-wife architectural team took inspiration from the 15th-century Byzantine Hagia Sophia Mosque in Istanbul and combined it with the red brick and white trim of the Amsterdam school to design a beautiful complex with some unique features like the same entryway for both men and women. Construction was due to begin last summer. As of the end of February, the lot was still vacant. But Ark Overberg, believes the mosque's most important element is not just the building itself.
2: What's unique for the mosque here in this specific case is that it's uh, a mosque uh, of an organization who actively tries to connect to other people, uh, to other groups in society. And they also let it reflect in the architecture to be uh, part of this neighborhood and also uh, want to make this mosque not only a place to celebrate your religion but also where there are shops where where people can come in drink a cup of coffee uh, where there is debate in the own community but also between uh, members of the community and and representatives of other groups in this neighborhood of or of groups here in Amsterdam that makes it a unique project and we as, as a city Uh, council of this neighborhood very much want this project to be realized uh, because we think it's important for this neighborhood, it's important for Amsterdam I even think it's important for the Netherlands
1: A couple of days after my visit to the fish shop I returned having forgotten to get the family's name Mr. Ederazzi ushered me back to the kitchen, sat me at a table and put a basket of bread and a plate of fried fish in front of me Eat, he said with a grin. His son and daughter joined us as I ate, and we shared stories about our neighborhood. Our neighborhood, I thought to myself, where no matter what our beliefs or background, we're all just little fish in a multi culty pond.
0: Little Fish in a Multiculti Pond was produced by David Swatling with sound engineer Jeroen Hautema. It's part of the international documentary series Global Perspective. Vox Humana is a presentation of Radio Netherlands Worldwide.
1: If you'd like to comment on this or any other Radio Netherlands programme, our email address is letters at rnw.nl. That's letters at rnw.nl.